0: Landon, Derek, will you please stop wrestling on concrete in the middle of roads? It's not a great idea. It's not safe. You gotta stop. Plus... Veronica, Rachel, and Tina officially become the Mean Girls this season. CT loves him some life shields. Brad gets a wedgie for the ages. Beth's clothes end up underwater and not the washer kind. Landon's rocking the worst haircut of all time. Everyone is doing belly flops. And Dave Mira is back for round two, and he's brought a whole new game with him. It's the Inferno 2 full season rewatch and recap season podcast coming at you right now. What up my fellow challenge lovers welcome to the challenge historian where we dive deep into all things MTV's the challenge past present or future if it's happening in the challenge universe then we are here to document it I am your host and dedicated challenge historian Jacob Hallabaugh thank you so very very much for being here with us today. On today's podcast, we are talking about MTV's The Challenge because even though I've been trying to train myself to just say The Challenge and not MTV's, today the 2022 Challenge Series rewatch rolls on which means we are talking about MTV's version of The Challenge, specifically season 10, The Inferno 2. We are on to the 10th season, we've made it into the double digit territory, we've still got a heck of a long way to go but it feels good to be into double digits our second sequel season in a row, in another potential all-time great season to break down. We will get to where this season stacks up at the very end, of course, but we're gonna break all of it down. And we're gonna talk about it using a similar formula and agenda as we have for the first nine of these season recaps. That means starting it all off with where the challenge was at at this time, the basics of the season, and evolutions in history that it made. Then we will walk through some of the biggest storylines of the season, breaking them all down in detail. After that, it's awards time, handing out some all kinds of hardware to celebrate the best of the best from this season up to and including the biggest prize of all. That would be the full season MVP, our 10th MVP will be awarded. And then finally, we zoom back out 30,000 foot level and put an official grade on the season, place it in the challenge pantheon for all time, see where it stacks up against its predecessors and eventually all of the seasons to follow it. Sound good to you? Sounds great to me. The only note before we dive in is to remind all listeners of a very important thing. That is, because we are on Season 10, we are officially in Paramount Plus streaming territory, meaning you can binge right along with me. I know it was a big frustration for many through the first nine seasons not being able to watch along, but thank goodness we are past that stage. No more messaging me where can I watch these seasons. I tried to be very clear about that problem, that known frustration that was out there through the first nine seasons, but no longer does it matter, because now you can all move through these seasons with me together. So fire up those subscriptions, get binging, and as you do, if you follow along, if you binge these seasons right along with me and in advance of me, Feel free to reach out and let me know any comments, questions, concerns you have in advance. Any questions you might have about the upcoming season that you know we're about to cover, strong opinions you feel need to be shared, a hot take on the biggest moment of the season or one of the players from the season, anything at all. Send all messages via DM to Challenge Historian on Instagram, at Challenge Historian. And maybe, just maybe, If you've got a great idea, a great opinion, something that I just can't believe I haven't thought of before, maybe you end up featured on this very here podcast. And if not... I'll at least go back and forth and banter with you and work through the opinion. So if you've got something crazy you think this has to be talked about about this season, this player, this little thing I noticed that I bet no one else noticed, but it's so cool it needs to be talked about. let me know at challenge historian on Instagram, check all of those messages and as I have said before, as long as your message doesn't just sum up to hey, you suck, I'm probably gonna respond. We're probably gonna have a conversation. so let me know there. Get to binging. We are officially in Paramount Plus territory. You can watch all these seasons right along with, and I will continue to try to do one a week. So after you've listened to this podcast, you can move right on into the Gauntlet Two, Season Eleven. That's what we'll be covering next week, and you can binge right along with me. All righty, with that, let's head on down to Mexico. Mexico, one of the maybe maybe the goat challenge location. Well, either way, we're heading to Mexico to the fiery pits of hell known as the Inferno. The year's 2005, where was the challenge at this point? Well, it was in its seventh year uh, of airing on television, which is kind of crazy that, you know, 10th season in, we're already in the seventh year of this show in 2005. It reminds you of how early this show started. It always kind of blows me away just to think that, yes, this show started in 1998. That is wild, so we're in the seventh year 10th season, that means we're, I mean, when you hit 10 seasons, you're at double digits, this is a long-running franchise at this point, and even though, you know, reality television had been around a little bit here and there, and obviously the real world, the feeder system of this very show had been around for more than 10 seasons, really blew up the reality space in the 90s, you know, not many shows had hit 10 seasons, and certainly of the competition series, the Big Brothers Survivors of the World uh, the challenge was hitting its 10th season right around the same time as Survivor eventually would catch up and do. So it's one of the first to get there, and it's a big, big deal to hit your 10th season. So this franchise is not just, you know, it's been a solidified franchise for a minute. They've been confident that it's going to run for a long time, for a minute. And now, though, just the feeling of being able to say our 10th ever season That was certainly a big deal. As for the two feeder shows at this time, as we talked about from Battle of the Sexes, road rules at this point in time in 2005. Their contract has not been renewed, At this point, we're assuming, when we're back in 2005, that Road Rules is no more. We know eventually there would be the one more season, the Viewer's Revenge in 2007, didn't go so hot. But at this point, Road Rules is done, no contract, not expected to come back. So the challenge has officially and 100% replaced Road Rules as the game show, the competition show, the sport of MTV's reality programming. Meanwhile, Real World continues on at this point in just the absolute heat of their longest running heater. I mean, the whole thing was one long heater of them. They Every season, unbelievable in this stretch. But maybe this is just my bias showing through and my particular age showing through. But everyone, you know, I think I've shared this before, but I'll just do it again. Everyone kind of has their you know, two or three real-world seasons, depending on your age, when you got into the show, what age you were as different seasons came out, you kind of have your core two- to three-season run if you watch the real world, liked it at all, that are like, those are your cast, those are your seasons, because that's when you were the right age and whatnot for it just to hit you just, you know, the strongest it possibly could. My particular three-season run was philadelphia austin Key West, which we are right in the middle of in 2005, Real World Philadelphia, damn near the entire cast is on this season of The Challenge, and Real World Austin would debut the night after the Inferno finale, Inferno finale ends on June 20th, 2005, Austin, episode one, June 21st, the very next night, so The Real World's just on fire at this point, and as is The Challenge, It is another sequel season, second straight sequel, the fifth out of 10 season run that would all be part of sub-franchises, franchises within the challenge, Battle of the Sexes, Gauntlet, Inferno, Duel, Fresh Meat being the five different mini franchises that make up this 10 season run until we hit the Island and the Ruins, which are a little break before we hit a couple more, you know, Duel 2, Fresh Meat 2 to round out this kind of era of sequels and trilogies. But we're in the thick of it, and they're building a stable of stars at this point. That is kind of the the real state of the challenge is we've got a bunch of stars. How can we maintain their stardom while building others? Let's just make this as big a net as possible, put as many people up there in the limelight as possible. As many stars as we can have just makes the show better and better and better. So they've got the Veronica, Coral, Miz, Rachel, Mark, Eric, Theo, Abram, Tina, all of them legit challenge stars at this point in time. Plus, you throw in CT, Derek, Brad, Robin, all coming into this season off of their individual rookie seasons. All, you know, budding stars in their own right. So, they're just absolutely blowing this show out. People, you know, are now, it's it's commonplace. It's not just, oh, Veronica's done a bunch of these, or Coral's done a bunch of these. It's now, hey... Two-thirds of the cast every season is on their third, fourth, fifth, sixth season of the show. We know them in and out. They've competed in and out. They've been on seasons where, with every type of format, this, that, and the other, it's really blowing up, and the evolutions that we talk about in a moment here get smaller and smaller as the show finds a way to, you know, they know what they have in this moment, and they've entered the how do we make this the best it can possibly be, phase you know they're making tweaks here and there but they know we've got stars we've got a great show the format's been working we made some big changes in the last few seasons they've all worked out really really well and now we're just going to settle in we're going to kind of do sequels and trilogies and we're going to keep the same core group of people we're going to try to make a few more people pop every single season and we've got gold on our hands which they do and that gold lasts a hell of a long time still to this day Let's hit the basics of this season, shall we? So, as we said before, 2005, March 7th to June 20th, 2005, to be exact. And in fact, the Montezuma's Revenge, or uh, what? No, Montezuma's Revenge was the name of the final in this one. That was different season reunion called the Montezuma's Revenge. This one was uh, not a reunion, but a shit you should have shown. Type of special at the end of the season, actually on the 27th, so March to June 2005, we're in Mexico yet again, we have Dave Mira back for the second, and would it eventually be his last season, he just does Inferno 1, in Inferno 2, we have 16 episodes, plus the shit they should have shown special at the end, and we have 20 cast members coming back, a slightly smaller cast, the same as you know Inferno One, but smaller than you know our massive Battle of the Sexes cast. And those 20 cast members, for the first time ever, not split, real world road rules, not split, male female, but instead good guys versus badasses. Your 20 cast members from this season were. Abram from Real Road Rules South Pacific, CT from Ro- Real World Paris, Derek from Road Rules Extreme, Rachel from Campus Crawl, Tina from South Pacific, Tanya from Chicago, Veronica Semester at Sea, Dan from Real World Miami, Karamo from Real World Philadelphia, Beth From Real World Los Angeles. That was your Badasses team. The Good Guys team then. Darrell from Campus Crawl. Jamie from San Diego. Landon, Philadelphia. Mike from back to New York. Shavonda, Philadelphia. Julie from New Orleans. Brad, San Diego. Jody, Extreme. Robin, San Diego. And John from LA. Your rookies being the four Real World Philadelphians. Plus Jody from Extreme. Five rookies. 15 vets. 20 cast members. Real World. Excuse me. Good Guys. Versus badasses. That's your basics. Now let's talk what my favorite really part of every single season when looking back historically. What were the evolutions? What were the first? What was the history that was made with this season? And the first one, the obvious one, the biggest one is the one we've already just said, and that is good guys versus badasses. The format has changed. We had only ever done real world versus road rules or men versus women. And the men versus women did obviously then have your real world road rules mixed. But it only ever been those two ways. So for the first time ever, they were not only mixing the genders, but mixing the shows at the same time, brand new. And it's ultimately where the show would go out of both entertainment and necessity. Obviously, they slowly but surely, we don't have as many road rules folks to go around. And eventually, we wouldn't have real world folks to go around either. And so they would know as they change the format, they've got to go with all kinds of different variations but for the first time ever good guys versus badasses totally arbitrary as talked about in uh the shit they should have shown the the good guys team not necessarily you know how they divided badasses versus good guys i don't know but they they did do a good job as far as the competitive side of things went that we'll talk about much later the other formatting evolution is for the first time the opposing team got to vote someone into the Inferno. It was no longer an internal debate to send one of your own, either via volunteer or voting your own or anything like that. The other team got to pick who went into the Inferno for the other team on this season. That person could still win themselves a life shield, so it was back to the similar format as Inferno 1, where there would be two daily challenges before there would be any eliminations in male weeks, female weeks, and go through the cycle over and over. But it was a big deal to have the opposing team voting someone into the Inferno. It was a big change to make for a lot of reasons, most notably how it changed the team dynamics. One way it did is, or really the biggest way, is that in the past when people were voting from their within their same team, having to put someone on your own team up, nominate, call their name out, this, that, or the other, It caused a lot of inter-team conflict, and now, with it changing, it not only caused a bunch of conflict between the two teams, but it also, as Tina explains here, gives the teams a chance at liking each other In the person who goes into the Inferno actually still being okay with their team when they come back. The nice thing about the Inferno is that it's not your own team that votes you in. So when you come back to your team, you know that your team wants you there. Dan comes in to warm hugs and kisses, and we've got our baby back. And that was obviously a huge, huge deal coming off of the Inferno 1 and even, you know, the gauntlet when it was a big deal when you know teams would be like, we kind of are just picking on our one team member who we either don't like or we've already chosen once. So we've ostracized somehow, some way, and that led to, you know. Sarah Grayson conflict with her team on the gauntlet, Katie in conflict with her team on the Inferno, and in general, everyone going into an elimination, and even when they would win, coming back and be like, well, my team doesn't want me here. My team kind of almost wished I lose, and, and just being a whole thing. So that was totally turned around on this season. Other evolutions. Big one, elimination changes. One thing about them, for the first time ever, we had entrances for our eliminations. Are those necessary? I don't know. It does, though, feel like in this particular season, the first time they ever do it, and by entrances, I mean, obviously, they've always said the people's name, but this time, they show up to the Inferno, the teams are up looking down at Dave Mir, and Dave Mira announces each competitor, a wall opens, they come on out, it's a full-blown WWE entrance, which is why I think maybe The Miz maybe popped in production's ear and was like, hey, this would be a cool thing to do, plus I would get to practice, but Those live on today, they weren't in every season after this, but they certainly live on today where we have to do the little montage of the two people going in or four people going in, whatever it may be, give them a full-blown introduction into the arena, the ring, whatever, the gauntlet, the gulag, whatever it is called on that particular season. And the other big change are the eliminations, especially evolved from where we were at Inferno 1, Uh, This is our third season with eliminations, Gauntlet, they had them, there was only a few you could play, some were silly, some were physical, some were tangram puzzles, a nice little mixture. On Inferno 1, we talked at length uh, that they were all kind of fear factor based, it was all kind of gross endurance challenges. This one, big change, all physical, seven out of eight fully blown physical eliminations where, you know, strength, athleticism, all those things are really what it comes down to. With only one of them, the last one, which is called Spinner, where they two women have to stand on spinning wheels for as literally just for as long as they can, is kind of an endurance one more than a physical one. But seven out of eight is a big step forward, depending if you like that step that they took. But for where the show is going to go, the sportification, if you will, of the show, the eliminations getting super physical this season was a true evolution, and that includes the introduction of the first of the three kind of holy grail eliminations, if you will. I kind of like to think there's four, but if we're being honest, objectively, there are three true headbanger, all-time memorable first ballot Hall of Fame eliminations in challenge history, and that would be hall brawl, of course, pole wrestle, of course, and balls in. And balls in is the first one to ever be introduced on this season, and it might be the best ever version of balls in. We'll be talking about it a lot later. But the physicality is ramped way up, and that also includes another evolution, the final. The final, you know, for three, four seasons before this, the final slowly had become, you know, you got to run a couple miles, do a puzzle or two, and that's about it. But there was the bones of it were there. It was just kind of hadn't been blown out to what we know today. Well, this season, it turns it is the season where it turns into a full blown endurance event. And they, kind of scrap everything else. This season's final is truly just a triathlon, except instead of swimming, they get to row in a boat, but it's rowing in a boat, it's riding a bike for like 10 kilometers, and it's running for a few kilometers, and then one little tiny, not even really a puzzle at the end, just a lock code. If you remember your your teammates' ages, you can get in the Inferno and win. So it's a full-blown triathlon as a final, which is obviously a major evolution towards where we're at today, where we're gonna be at in only a few seasons from here, where it turns into the final being an endurance event. They would mix back in the physicality, the puzzles, the eating, all the other things that were to come, but this is the first season where they decided, hey, you're gonna have to be a borderline, full-blown endurance athlete to be able to compete in one of these finals, so that's a big evolution as for just some other random couple history facts to throw at you, this season maybe, I think, possibly, we don't 100% know, is the first season that a cast member gets arrested on because we never see it. Uh, it doesn't seem to uh, be a big deal or affect anything, but it is quickly mentioned in the shit they should have shown uh, you know, special at the end when talking about are the good guys really the good guys. They offhand mentioned that Brad was possibly arrested during this season, and I would if I had to guess, if that's true, I would guess it was maybe like a drunken disorderly for the Atomic Wedgie when he starts throwing Derek and others around outside the van and takes his shirt off, and throws it around, and is just generally kind of yelling and stuff. Maybe, maybe it's for that. I don't know, but maybe there's a chance that Brad got arrested in some way on this season. Uh, other little bits of history, third ever time a player quit and left the show that happened on this season. Also possibly the first time a player secretly quit as we had Karamo, we find out after the fact he wanted to go home and told the other team that he would be, you know, throw a daily challenge and throw an elimination cause it, he wanted to leave anyways. And he would quit that way under the radar secretly. Don't think that had happened yet. And then as for the stats, quick run-through of where we're at statistically, stat history that was made this season, and just generally where we were 10 seasons into the show. Mike the Miz took the confessional lead back. He now, after the end of the season, at 249 confessionals. Coral still then in second, not even on this season, but still remains in second at 211. Veronica at third at 261. So this being Mike the Miz's last ever season, kind of ends the Mike and Coral Run era of the show where it is clear via the confessional count 249, 211, and then again, third place at 161. Those two were the face of the franchise for this six season run where they're each on four or five of those six seasons. The most dailies competed in ever record is rebroken by Veronica. She now is at 74 daily challenges, competed in at the end of this season. Mike the Miz at 62, Coral 55. That rounds out your top three. Veronica now also has the most daily challenge wins in history at the end of this season with 32, Abram at 28, Durrell at 25. Again, these are all in the moment at the end of the 10th season. Obviously, these records have not held up over time. Tanya and Landon become the fifth and sixth people ever to win two eliminations in their career, and they both do it in this season, in the same season. Mike and Veronica make their fourth ever final, which ties them for Coral with the, for the most ever at the time of this, so that's big history from them. And Darrell makes his third, which puts him with Theo and Dan in a tie for second behind those three who have four. And speaking of Darrell, he wins his third straight title which ties him with Veronica for the most ever wins at this point he and Veronica both now at three through 10 seasons Mike the Miz joins the two-time club now nine people who can say they're two-time champions through 10 seasons and the Miz also takes back the money lead he is at $129,000 made at this point Darrell is at 115000 and Theo is at 85000 so That's some of your stats history, that's some of your eliminations, that's the basic, that's all the high-level stuff about the Inferno Two. So now that we got that covered, we know what we're talking about. Let's dive in deeper, let's head into the storylines and break down some of the biggest arcs, characters, storylines from this season. The first big storyline to dive into as we get a little more detailed in our breakdown here of the Inferno Two, the first one really, It maybe isn't the number one biggest one, but it's the one that lasts the entire season, and it's also the most fun to talk about, and will probably be the most brief, but that is that it's actually competitive. Like, we have an actual competitive game show on our hands, and we don't know who's going to win throughout the whole thing. It's very back and forth. Both teams evenly matched, a lot of good competition, and that's a refreshing thing um, because we hadn't really had that in a while, or even maybe at all, this could arguably be called the first ever like competitive season of the challenge because prior to this, going in backwards in order here, Battle of the Sexes 2, not competitive like at all. Inferno 1, really not competitive at all. The Gauntlet, kind of competitive, but also Road Rules kind of was winning most of that. Battle of the Sexes 1, not competitive at all. And then you go all the way back to Battle of the Seasons where... Yes, it was competitive, but also the show was a lot different than it hadn't. You know, The eliminations hadn't been introduced. It wasn't really that cutthroat yet. They were just learning. It was the first time they ever even like sent anyone home. They were still kind of learning the whole thing. So I don't even know if I would call Battle of the Seasons like an ultra-competitive season in any way where it's like, I don't know who's going to win this. There's lots of people that could. There's lots of people that could make it to the end or not make it to the end. And so this season feels like not only is it, you know, it ends up being eight to seven in the daily count and you know, the good guys run away literally with the final, but it's an even pretty even matchup going in. We don't know, you know, there's no real favorite going into it. It's back and forth through the whole season good guys, you know, are down bad early, down I think they're down like 5 to 2 in dailies early, they make it all up later. It's back and forth in inter the competitive not even on a team level but person to person vying for the life shields, vying to save themselves from elimination, vying just to kind of outdo one another. It's very competitive, it's pretty ruthless throughout. The eliminations are high stakes, everyone going in there wanting to win, fighting hard. Both teams, for the most part, at all times during the eliminations, are actually rooting for their person to come back, with some slight exceptions, but even those ones kind of are only more examples of the ruthless competitors that were playing this game. And that brings me to it, it also had you know the people scheming to win, alliances forming, A lot of stuff that we had seen bits and pieces of before, but we'd never seen one full season like this where everyone's all in, everyone's trying to win in a big way, and that it matters. It matters so much that it stuck out when someone like Dan Renzi, who is an absolute gem on this season yet again, as he is on all the seasons of the challenge that he's been on, he's kind of the only one, and he's very competitive himself, and he admits in it like, I'm here to win, But there's moments where he's like, maybe I'm not like turned up to 11 the way everyone else is. Like I thought I was coming in here and like I was one of the competitive people in this atmosphere. And I wanted to win and I like I'm trying my best, but I'm at like a 10 and seems like I've the game is a little different now. And now everyone else is at like an 11 out of 10 and like they're always competing. They don't even know how to have fun at the house or anything anymore. So when you get that storyline, the one person who's like, I'm still trying to like have fun over here as well is also like try to kick ass and compete. You know that things are dialed up to a whole new level. You've got CT thinking that, you know, by the middle of the season, CT's openly opining, like, hey, should we actually be, like, concerned that we have too many people? I would like to split the money with less people. I don't think all these people are as good as we need them to be for the final." so you've got that going on. You've got secret alliances all over the place. You've got one alliance that everyone thinks is happening, Mike and Abram, which they have to, Abram has to, argue his way out of every other day, it seems like to say that he's not in some sort of secret alliance with the Miz, which we find out after the fact is actually because he's in a secret alliance with Darrell in Brad. And that goes totally wrong. As are many, many other people across team lines have alliances going on. So there's all kinds of scheming, there's all kinds of plotting, there's all kinds of thinking of what's the best team, how am I going to win? How am I going to get the most money and the eliminations are out of control, the whole thing is just, the competition level is turned up to a whole new level. And that makes for a great, great season. It's one of many elements that make up a great season because, you know, We always talk about the show versus sport, that dichotomy, the two pillars of the challenge. And some fans are way more into the show side. Some fans are way more into the sports side. And, you know, fans that are way more into the sports side obviously are going to like it more when it's a competitive season and it's more interesting from that side. Fans of the show side of things that are strong, show side that might, you know, be begrudge the fact that cha- that the challenge has gone where it's gone and become such a sport become so over the top invested in the competition of it all unless the show and the drama of it all but even those fans would admit if you're gonna have to have you know the over the top game of it all the sport of it all it makes it a lot better when that's actually competitive and interesting versus you know one team's way better or one or two people are way better this season very even across the board very competitive love 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 it that's really the biggest storyline the whole way through and takes over the course of the season you know the good guys being like we're united but we're down early badass is coming back or having some difficulties throughout the season we're going to talk about that in a moment that's another storyline but that's for a little further down the road let's move to the second one the first kind of person specific storyline of the season and kind of the biggest early storyline of the season that would eventually be resolved by the fifth episode but that would be beth versus her own team beth versus the badasses and this all starts uh with as usual when when beth's involved and some some sort of drama is going down it's usually because beth has gossiped a little bit that that becomes a one, a calling card of hers, to say the least. And Beth does a little gossiping on this show. Uh, on episode three, she goes to Robin, who, if you remember back, Battle of the Sexes 1, Robin and Mark Long had started a romance. Between seasons, that romance was a little on again, off again. As far as we know, at the filming of this season, obviously Mark Long's not there, but Robin, as she tells it, Her and Mark aren't necessarily dating, but they're kind of together and there's a full expectation from her that when the season's over, you know, they're gonna continue to try, like, they're gonna try to turn the on again back on at some point. And Beth tells Robin that Tanya and Mark did a little hanging out and that Tanya was telling Beth all about spending the night with Mark and hooking up with Mark and this, that, and the other. And Robin, for her part, is one, like, I don't know if this is true. And even if it is, like, I don't like what, what, what are you doing? What are you, are you trying to just start shit? Like, what the fuck's going on? Tanya hears about it and she gets very upset. She has no idea why. One night that she eventually says she did, you know, her and Mark hung out for a weekend and that was all of it. And that he and Robin were not together at the time. And Tanya and Robin, you know, they kind of have a little bit of an argument here, but the really their argument isn't so much of like, who was with who at what time. It's more of just, why are we arguing right now? This is all Beth's fault. And it turns into all Beth's fault for stirring up some drama, Some what Tanya and Robin both deem unnecessary drama between, you know, teammates, all teammates at this time, or two of three teammates, Tanya and Beth being teammates. Tanya wakes Beth up in the middle of the night to try to talk about it. Beth says, I don't want to talk about it, and then says, if I'm going to talk about it, you got to get Robin. You got to get everyone here because I only want to talk about it once. Tanya won't take that as an answer. And so as Beth puts her head back under her covers, Tanya decides to take all of Beth's clothes and throw them out into the pool. Except that's not good enough because she throws the bag in the water and the bag just floats. And Rachel, among many others, eggs her on. It says, Tanya, their clothes aren't even getting wet. And so Tanya gets all the clothes out puts all the clothes in the pool, they all sink to the bottom, they're all over the place, they're in the pool, they're on the yard, they're on the deck, they're everywhere. Every piece of Beth's clothing, she goes back, she tells Beth, hey, are you ready to talk yet? Beth has no idea what's going on. Tani says, okay, fine, takes her book bag, throws those clothes everywhere. It's a whole big thing. We will talk a little bit more about it in the most iconic moment of the season because it's certainly one of the most infamous, one of the most memorable from this season. All of Beth's clothes everywhere that across the whole landscape of the house, most of them in the pool, at the bottom of the pool, and this pisses off Beth in a big, big way, obviously, as it would. No matter what she has done, no matter what, if if your clothes all end up in the bottom of a pool, you ain't gonna be happy no matter what fault or not fault you had in it. It's a pretty aggressive comeback on Tanya's part to do, It's pretty wild, it's crazy. I don't think anything of this type um, has happened in challenge history otherwise. You know, there's more recently the uh, Kayla and others throwing uh, Kaylee's uh, clothes over the balcony on Vendetta's, uh, I believe, Final Reckoning, one of the two, they're out, they're same season to me. Both great, by the way. But, uh, so we've seen clothes thrown around before, but never clothes in the bottom of the pool, possibly ruining all of the clothes, um, at least leaving her with nothing to wear immediately the next day because literally everything that she was not have on her body in bed that night ends up in the pool. It's, it's absolute madness. The next day, the badasses, then Beth, you know, is very upset about it. Is said, you know, my team doesn't like me, I'm gonna go against my team. Her team says, fine, we'll go against you. It's a women's elimination. Tina had been nominated to go into elimination, so the whole team devises a plan to make. Tina win the life shield and then send in Beth hoping to send her home. Totally backfires because they don't get all the rules of the event. It's an event where they have to collect money that is dropped from helicopters onto a golf course. They are then not told in advance that they're just told collect as much money as possible. The individual with the most money will win the life shield. All the badasses say, cool, we don't have to throw the challenge. All we have to do is we can still try to win, but just give all of the money to Tina. So they do, and Tina's got basically her entire team's money at the end of the time limit when Dave Mira drops the hammer on them and says, now, hadn't told you this, but everyone has to count their own money. You only have five minutes to do it, and it has to be counted accurately to count, or it, you're disqualified. Tina's then like, well, fuck. I have way too much money to count that amount of time. She gets disqualified Beth gets to stay out of elimination, so that totally backfires and just causes a bigger rift between the team. Tina eventually wins the elimination, so it's okay from their team standpoint, but then after the elimination that night, that Tina wins, Beth and Veronica end up yelling at each other in the parking lot, and it all ends the next morning when Beth decides to head on home. She pieces out, she packs up all of her wet belongings, packs them up, and heads on home, leaves the game at that point. No replacement for her, no, you know, skipped elimination, nothing. We just lose an additional player and end up with an odd number at the end. But it's the biggest storyline of really episodes three, four, and five are consumed with it. It's a three-episode run, uh, starting with the gossiping, leading to Tanya throwing all the best stuff in the pool leading to the badasses trying to throw a challenge, leading to Beth laughing about it, yelling at Veronica, and eventually deciding to go home. It's pretty wild. It's, you know, it's not the first person who has quit the show at this point in time. Is the third after both David and Puck, both on Battle of the Sexes, one would quit over there kind of over their confrontation, David over his confrontation, and if you remember back then when we talked about that, production had no idea what to do. They tried to kick Puck out. The whole cast rebelled against it. They had to keep him. David left. Puck eventually went crazy later when his new wife that he married in that season got detained at Customs, so he walked around with a machete, all scary for a little while, and then decided to quit himself. So this is the third person ever who has quit um, but it kind of feels like the first because the the other one was just such an odd scenario with David and Puck that, um, you know, this ultimately is the same, that cast members couldn't get along. Some wild shit happened, and one of them decides this isn't the environment for me. I have no reason to be here. This is not enjoyable at all. In heads home, uh, would not be the last time that this happens with Beth uh, on any of the parts of it. As far as Tanya's rolling it, throwing people's clothes in the pool Pretty aggressive um, as far as where things go on, you know, the aggravating your teammates, opponents, fellow cast members to try to drive them crazy, try to get them to quit, anything like that. You know, she didn't hit no one. Uh, she didn't say anything, really didn't say anything mean throughout all of it. Veronica and Beth, some of the words they exchanged were pretty pretty mean, but uh, Tani really doesn't, but throwing someone's clothes in the pool while infamous yes also quite rude and uh pretty understandable as far as quitting the show goes of uh, Beth to realize you know this isn't this isn't what I uh came here necessarily for this is there's no I'm not having any bit of fun and probably also seeing a little bit of writing on the wall at that point they had seen a couple of eliminations they had seen four daily challenges maybe also knowing and this, this new, very physical game, this super competitive atmosphere, also maybe not what I was looking for. So she bows out. That is your second big, big storyline of the season. The third one, then, is is, is a difficult one to talk about. Um, and that would be the Mean Girls versus Tanya. And The Mean Girls would be Rachel, Veronica, and Tina, Tina who all... Uh, either within the season or by the shit they should have shown special at the end of the season, admit to the Mean Girls moniker being deserved during this season. Uh, But the three of them have it out for Tanya, and all four of them are on the same team. They're all on-team badasses, but Veronica, Rachel, and Tina are a real tight trio of friends. At this point, they've been on some seasons together. Rachel and Veronica, you know, go super far back on the show. Tina has been a newer member of the group, but a few seasons in of playing together and loving each other, and they're a trio. And they pick on Tanya constantly throughout the season. They they do, you know, it. it some of it is just, you know, more, you know, quote unquote, harmless, uh, you know, teasing and whatnot, picking on. Picking on someone in the house. Some of it certainly crosses some lines when there's, at different times, it's noted that there's photos taken of Tanya while she's sleeping um, or while she's, you know, having some alone time in her bed, as she seemed to do uh, multiple times throughout this season. But regardless what it was, Veronica, Rachel, and Tina kind of always at odds with Tanya. Always always just find finding a reason to be mad at her during the daily challenges you know if one of them did bad no words would be said but if tanya did the same as them but wasn't good enough to you know bring their team that was down back and get a win they would yell at her always you know judging any decision she made there was some you know verbal exchanges about her history with some of the guys on the show or guys that had been on other seasons of the show all kinds of stuff and tanya for her part She does lean into it a little bit as far as uh, kind of against her better judgment as she dislikes it so much that it kind of feels like one of those things that becomes this like kind of perpetuating cycle of she she dislikes it so much that she kind of unconsciously is going out of her way to make more of it happen. But she doesn't really have to go much out of her way because these three women are – it's it's constant from the first day through the time, the end of the show, and it's a little complicated to talk about because obviously we know while we're only talking about the Inferno 2 here, season 10, we know that in future seasons uh, that Tanya's time on the challenge would become a, a difficult subject and would be, you know, is certainly when we previously did uh, what age the best, worse, and what warts were there on any season's. Some of the future seasons have some big warts that revolve around how Tanya was treated by others in some really unfortunate, heinous activity that allegedly took place on future seasons. And when anyone thinks about, you know, uh, the kind of the way not just Tanya, but others have been treated on this show and the teasing that would go on and the kind of ganging up on individual people at times, and certainly the group of guys that would somewhat become known for it in a soon-to-be stretch of challenge history, it is a little bit forgotten that it, it kind of starts here. Uh, There's been some pranks before in seasons prior to this, but they're usually in pretty good spirits. No one has really gotten upset over anything so far. In this season, it, it's certainly no pranks. It's, it's simply... Teasing, manipulation, uh, you know, just treating someone poorly and uh, constantly and consistently and creating a really, really bad environment for someone who ultimately probably, you know, it's on production a little bit that, you know, if this is what you're wanting, that line we always talk about of, you know, reality television is certainly the challenge trying to walk this fine line of we want people to argue, we want people to fight, we want people to bicker, we want drama, we want, you know, some wild stuff to go down. We're we're fine with them drinking. We're fine with them hooking up with the same people and then getting mad about it or whatever. All this stuff, but that that line's really hard to walk up to to get that drama, that entertainment that we want without crossing over into the area where now we're in some moral dilemmas. We're some bad, bad things are going on, and we're way past the, you know, kind of pranks and teasing and drunk and yelling at each other that isn't really going to have a major impact on anyone. And we're into some real toxic stuff. And this season seems like the first one where we start to flirt a little bit and maybe, maybe a lot of it, with that in the environment becoming a mixture of someone who maybe shouldn't be in that environment given what they're going through in life and what they've been through in life and putting people in there who are gonna take advantage of that and create the environment that isn't great for that person. So it's it's unfortunate. It, it never gets to a real bad place um, in this season, but it is a storyline throughout that Tanya versus these three women on her team, that it's a big battle. A couple times they kind of faint at like, let's make up, let's be nice to Tanya today, but even that, it's so not genuine that everyone can see right through it, including Tanya. Uh, for her part, just to comment on it, Tanya absolutely kicks ass competition-wise throughout the season. She also does not, at, at no point really, okay, I, I was about to say she doesn't do anything mean. Throwing best clothes in the pool, pretty pretty mean, but that's outside of this this group of women, doesn't do anything really mean, wrong, embarrassing, nothing all season outside of that isolated throwing Beth's clothes in the pool, and her only really bad point uh physically, competitively at all, is in the final when she earns her way there, two, two elimination victories, gets all the way there, and her and Tina both For their team, uh, really, really struggle in the running portion. Not that it ultimately would have mattered because they were at that point already way behind the other team and wouldn't have caught up uh, given how quickly they did the puzzle. But Tina and her both struggle with the running, at which point Veronica and Rachel, it's it's, thank God uh, in a weird way that Tina struggled on the running portion too because Veronica and Rachel can't really say You know, they can't single out Tanya in any way because their other good friend Tina is struggling just as hard. Although they do, they both do get some ranting and raving out to the cameras while they themselves jog along. But it's it's a it's a messy situation. It definitely is the first time where that that difficult, difficult line to walk of, you know, we want these people, we don't want these people all to get along, all kumbaya, but if it goes too far it gets into territory that we also don't we don't like and that isn't good and that we don't want in the world or in the challenge or anywhere and so it's uh it's an interesting thing to look back on as kind of a starting point of when when some things of this nature go further and further south when that line gets pushed too heavily ultimately crossed and crossed in some big horrible ways in seasons to come so Mean Girls versus Tanya, that's a big, big storyline of the season. And then the final one, we touched on briefly uh, uh, earlier, but to come back to it, and because the kind of theme, Mean Girls versus Tanya, again, that was Tanya versus three women on her team that they couldn't get along. Beth versus her own team was badasses not getting along. And so that's a little bit of a theme of the good guys all season, super united, sticking together, confident, loving each other, rooting each other on the badasses, not so much. And as we said before, super competitive season, the badasses dominate to start. And even though they're bickering, even though they're trying to get rid of Beth, all that in the early going, they are winning all the daily challenges, but they're winning a lot of ones where it's kind of individual performances added up. And once they transition into a few more dailies where communication matters, teamwork matters just as much as the physical side, they start losing them quick. And even in the individual, more individual-based ones, as the good guys team loses person after person, it gets down to holy cow, now we've just got four, five, six awesome competitors left. And so now, even in the individual stuff, Landon gets to go twice, Darrell gets to go twice. You're not going to beat teams when you got people like that getting to go multiple times in a daily challenge. So the, eventually the good guys they get smaller, which makes them better and better. They start winning. Early season dominated by badasses. middle very 50-50 goes back and forth. Late in the season, the good guys reel off a bunch of wins in a row and ultimately win the final one and it all comes back to their strong united team in the end the whole season through. They, you know, their all of their deliberations are very You know, peaceful, and they listen to each other when it's a women's week, and the women say, I definitely want this, that's what they have happen. If the men say, I definitely want this, that's what they have happen. If someone specifically has been called out, for the most part, they try to give them the best chance without just giving someone a life shield. They try to make sure they have a fair shot at winning the life shield. Only one time, the final time, does that not happen when Darrell and Landon kind of have a little bit of an argument that's squashed pretty immediately, mostly because Landon wins the elimination. But over, you know, how what's the most fair way to go about this next daily to make sure everyone has a shot at the life shield. They're united. They're strong the whole way through. And it very much is why they're able to win in the end, because honestly, they the paddling portion of the final is where they... Take their big lead because they can work together, whereas the other badasses team cannot, which the paddling portion is the one area where the badasses, if they could have worked together, would have a big advantage by having more people. They could have paddled it much faster, higher powered, but they can't get it together. The good guys do. They get out to a lead, and really the biking and the running, they probably do about at the same speed ultimately in the end. It's just the good guys have a lead to start and they never look back. So The good guys win, badasses don't. Badasses are pretty torn apart the whole time, and the good guys keep it, the competition between them and the other team, and not each other. So, those are your biggest storylines. Now, there are some more, but all of the other ones that should be talked about, should be mentioned, are going to come up via one of our awards. So, let's take a brief pause. Let's get out those trophies, dust them off, shine them off, get them ready to present, etch the new names into them, and hand out some hardware. First award of the episode is gonna have to be the best daily challenge. Now, daily challenges this year, just to quickly touch on them, they, from we've talked about they were more competitive, definitely, versus each other, but as far as the actual what they were doing for the daily challenge is considered, no big evolution, no big step forward. A very good set of daily challenges. I liked them as a whole, But keep, they've kept the same kind of as the previous two seasons. We're still in that area where it's a mix of, sometimes it's sheer athleticism, sometimes there's puzzles, sometimes it's a silly strategy, teamwork-based thing, sometimes it's a mixture of all of them. Occasionally, we make you do something gross, but pretty similar dailies to what we've had the previous two seasons. As for the nominees for the best daily challenge of the season, there were three chronologically we will go with. Episode 8, Zip Up, which was probably the hardest just who's the best athlete here kind of daily challenge of the season. This one, there was a zip line up to a 100 feet long. No one got anywhere near a 100 feet up it, and it was at a vertical incline. You start at the bottom, and you get two minutes to climb as high on that line as possible. Every foot you go is a point you score for your team, and it was one of the most—it was both— Pretty compelling getting to show who's, you know, who's got the athleticism in this cast, which there was a lot of people with it. So it led to a very competitive uh daily challenge where there was some big dramatics at the end, both with who would actually win and who would get the life shields, as certain people were up for elimination on this one. Second nominee, then never-ending climb. This was episode nine. And this one, imagine your good old classic game of Donkey Kong. But if a Donkey Kong, uh, the the rows of it, the base level of a Donkey Kong game was created in real life, which is basically what they did. They made a contraption going, I think it was about 100 feet up, into the air, straight up into the air with levels on it. You had to climb a ladder, run across a beam, climb another ladder up to the next level, run up across the other side, climb a ladder, just like a classic Donkey Kong game. And on the way up, there was things you had to grab. Everyone on your team had to go up. Grab five of I think there was a total of 40 at the time of these little tokens off of it so some people had to climb all the way to the top others didn't you could pick and choose and you know denote the best on your team to go all the way to the top but it was really really cool visually it seemed like an incredible amount of fun and it was a great way to do the height-based challenge but allow some strategy into the teams of hey you're terrified great The five lowest ones, you're going to get those, which means the other ones of us are going to have to climb a lot higher, but that's okay. So a lot of strategy involved. It was another one, very competitive barn burner. In the end, never-ending climb. That's nominee number two. Nominee number three, one of the most inventive daily challenges to date, that would be Heart Rate Bungie, episode 15. This was one where they had to go up, stand on a platform, I don't I don't know if it was 100 feet again. I think I'm just starting to say 100 feet for everything, but somewhere far enough in the air to be able to do a legitimate bungee jump from there. But it was no regular bungee jump. The entire point of the daily challenge was you stood in a pair, you picked a teammate to stand with up there, and you both start on the bungee jump on a platform. And when Dave said go, the moment that both people's heart rates got below 100 beats per minute they would drop and their time would stop. And so the entire thing was who's scared of doing this and you have to just stand there and get your heart rate low enough and the moment you do, boom, heart rate's gonna go way back up because you're gonna drop but your time is over. And meanwhile, the best decision they made was two people from the other team got to go up with you and heckle you and try to keep your nerves on edge, therefore your heart rate up. It was, hilarity ensued, um, dramatics ensued and how it ended up ending, uh, with Tanya, who was up for elimination, being the only person who could never get her heart rate below. So she and CT, DQ, there was some incredible performances that we'll talk about later of some people who seem to have zero problem with going up in the air and being dropped on a bungee from 100 feet up and keeping their heart rate at borderline resting levels. So those are your three Daily Challenge nominees for the best of the season. I've got to give it to Zip Up, Episode 8, and the reason why is the dramatic ending to it, which I will not spoil now because we're going to talk about in just one moment. Next award up, the best elimination of the season in this one, this one's not even close, all right? We've got three nominees, but we had a clear-cut winner, only the third time we've ever been able to give out this award. And the eliminations, as we mentioned during the Evolution segment of this took a huge step up in physicality on this season and really took just took a huge step up in my mind in general from where we were at on the Gauntlet Inferno 1 to this it's just a whole new ball game and it added a lot to the season they're all super physical. Let's just talk about the two nominees that did not win before we talk about the clear-cut winner of the best elimination season. The other two nominees that at least deserve mention, episode one, or not episode one, episode two. Excuse me, because it's in full cycle. Episode one and two aired at the same time. Episode two, hang tough. Dan beats John. Big John Brennan. Dan, real-world Miami, takes him down. This one, the game itself was really, really cool. The game was they had to climb up a ladder to monkey bars about 30 feet up in the air, and when Dave rang the bell, they climbed across the monkey bars towards each other, and then they could do anything they wanted to knock the other person off. First of all, would lose. Eventually, Dan would win using a nice little legs wrapped around John, yank him down with your legs, technique that worked quite well. It was really, really cool. It was a fun battle. And it was also John uh, willingly throwing himself in, sacrificing himself. Mike the Miz was nominated but then won the Life Shield. John steps up and says, I'll be the one that will go in for you. You don't have to try to pick someone. So he goes in, sacrifices himself. It's a great time. Dan getting a win means a lot more confessionals for Dan. Always a good thing. So Hang Tough, episode one, nominated. Also nominated, episode 12, Patchwork. Tanya beats Julia in a crazy matchup. Patchwork was a game they had to wear. These full jumpsuits that had, I believe, 27 patches on them that could be ripped off, like Velcro patches. And the whole goal was... Rip all the patches off of your opponent first, more or less. Uh, You had to rip them off and then throw them into a bucket. And once someone, one of the two, had all 27 gone, everything stopped. And whoever had more in their bucket at that moment won. The catch of it all was it was not a complete free-for-all. They were strung up on these wire systems that didn't allow them to fully have freedom of movement. They kind of had to bob and bounce around in their little space, close enough to each other to touch each other, but not... Able to full on, you know, brawl or wrestle, which made it kind of weird, but also probably kept it within the realm of safety because Julie and Tanya were both amped up for this one. And if they would have been allowed full board, just like you're not attached to nothing, it's full blown wrestling match here. Do anything you want to get those patches off. I don't know that either woman would have made it out of that ring without substantial, substantial injury to each other. But that was a great one, as was the first one, but the third final nominee the only one that could have ever won this award is the one we mentioned in the evolutions this season got physical no more so than when abram and brad had to play balls in now touch on a little bit more of what we previously stated balls in is one of i say four knowing that it's really three the three headbangers that live on and challenge infamy that are used you know time and time again Pull Wrestle and Hall Brawl are kind of really the, the top two. Balls in is been around just as much, maybe not quite as much. I, I should have done the full, the full count of how many times each of the games have happened, but in recent seasons hasn't been around quite as much as it was over the course of about a 10-15 season run, but it's still one of the iconic ones. I throw not so fast in there as kind of the, the big four of eliminations, but Balls in, if you don't remember, if you can't think of one that you've seen, is when there's a big ring and there's a trash can-like you know receptacle in the middle of that ring and one player's on offense, one player's on defense, full football pads and helmets and you got a ball about the size of a soccer ball or volleyball and you got to get past the defender and put that ball in the center, the trash can-like receptacle in the center. The defender is either trying to knock you to the ground, knock the ball to the ground, or knock you out of the ring to get a stop Usually when they play, it's best of five. This instance of it is unique looking back because the one tweak they had made going forward is this one. It is a best of five, but it is... Abram is on offense five straight times, and then Brad is on offense five straight times, and that's not the best way to do it from a fairness standpoint of who's tired when and whatnot. In future times, they would obviously alternate, which is the appropriate way to do things. But the other thing about this one is... It's not just balls in, it's like hyper speed balls in. There's almost no stopping on this one. Dave Mira is having so much fun, just immediately the moment someone gets tackled, he there's no horn or anything. He just says, throws another ball in, says, go, go again, go again, go again. And so, this, these full 10 rounds go so fast, and every single one is a brutal collision. These dudes are fired up. This is peak Abram. And When he enters an elimination, he goes to a different place mentally. He completely, all the adrenaline in his body is coursing through him and just goes to a truly rageful place that he is just an an animal, an absolute wild animal unleashed into elimination. This is the peak of that. And him and Brad have a showdown for the ages. They're clashing. They're just running straight into each other, huge collisions, Talking shit the whole time, getting mad at each other. Abram scores three times. Brad comes back. He scores on his second one and his fourth one. So he's got a chance to tie it up. It comes down to the last final one, the fifth one. He spins. He looks like he's going to get it in and he bounces the ball right off the rim. And so Abram gets the win. We find out on the shit they should have shown, reunion esque special, that. While this would have been intense no matter what, because these are two fierce competitors playing a very physical game, we find out that the reason it gets even more intense is because Brad and Abram were supposed to have an alliance, and everyone at this point had been calling out Abram for having this alliance with Miz. That wasn't actually really a thing. Somehow, Abram gets against Brad. Darrell, who's supposed to be a part of the alliance, was the reason that it ended up being Brad, versus Abram or one of the reasons. And so after Abram wins, he and Darrell end up yelling a bunch of shit at each other. It's wild. It's far and away the best elimination of the season. It is unbelievable. And it's probably the first ever of there's kind of a short list of the 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 real true classic headbangers where we get the absolute best of the best where it is riveting, edge of your seats, standing up, pulling your hair out, who the hell knows what's about to happen type. Of headbang uh, elimination. This is really the first of those. The you know, the Derek versus Joss, the more, you know, more further back, upcoming soon to be on the duel, Derek versus West pole wrestle, the those style eliminations. This was the first ever of those where it's like, Holy shit, these guys have full blown football football pads on. They're beating the crap out of each other. This is a whole new thing. This is this is a sport. This is a this is this is not for the faint of heart, and this is what the challenge, not 100% of the time, but this would become a part of the challenge that was there, a staple every single season, that something of this nature would be put forward. They would hope it would be this good of a version, but some version of this type of physical altercation would become a staple of the show for all the years to come. Next up, we have the best athletic performance of the season, and before we get to the three nominees, One man who does not get nominated, but deserves a shout out is CT, who does kick ass and take names all season long. He wins six out of the eight life shields For the badasses, every other daily challenge on this season is one where a life shield is present, which means there is some form of individual game within the team game, which means someone gets to shine individually, and for the badass team, that is almost always CT, who wins six of the eight. Shout out Derek, who wins the two others. Non-CT wins, but I believe CT gets second, essentially, in both of those. So pretty incredible performance all around from CT physically in this season, but Does not find any of those six times where it is impressive enough to get nominated for the best athletic performance of the season. That goes to our first nominee, the one we just talked about. Brad Naberman Balls In is unbelievable. It is so entertaining, it is so brutal and so well contested. Obviously, They both deserve, even Abram won, but they both put their absolute heart on the line and put on a performance for the ages. So they both get a joint nomination for the best athletic performance of the season. They do not win, though. The second nominee, Landon and Jamie, in heart rate bungee co-nomination because they did this together. Now, this is the heart rate bungee jump that we just talked about a few minutes ago during the best daily challenge of the season. Had to get your heart rate below 100 to be allowed to drop, and for your time to end. Now, Landon did get to go twice, so part of this, the very first time he went, though, he's one of about three people, I believe, whose heart rate never went above 100, that the moment they they strap him up, they have him ready to bungee, they put the little heart rate monitor on him, and then they say go, and as soon as they both drop below 100, they get to drop. He is one of three people who starts, the moment he says go, His heart rate is not above 100, it is below, and that's the first time that he went, but then he gets to go a second time, which is advantageous to say the least, and he goes with Jamie, and when they go, they last all of two seconds, which in reality, it should be zero seconds, but they just weren't prepared for anyone to start. Both people start below 100. When Dave Mira says go, Landon is at like a cool 60 beats per minute, and Jamie is at like a cool 75. Both of them are calm, is what I'm trying to say. And they drop instantly. The next closest is like 36 seconds or so. And so for them to drop in two seconds was just shattered uh everyone else in the field that day. It won their team, the whole thing going away, um, even regardless of the eventual DQ. Another shout out to CT here who also was the third person whose heart rate starts well below 100 and never really goes above 100. However, he was partnered with Tanya who never got below 100. They do DQ in this challenge. So that's your second nominee. And then your third and final nominee and the winner of the best athletic performance of the season goes to my guy, Lando Commando. Landon, rookie season. What a rookie season he had starting off one of the finest careers in challenge history in style, and he wins this award for the best athletic performance for his performance in the Zip Up Daily Challenge, which we referenced earlier, the best daily challenge of the season, and we said it was because not only was it a really cool daily challenge, but also the end of it was very exciting and competitive and interesting, and that we would tell you about it in a moment, and that moment is now, because Landon, it comes down to, again, you have to climb a zip line that's, it's not really a zip, it's a zip line, but not one that you go wee on because you got to physically climb it um, all the way up at an angle. The more feet you go, the more points you get, and this was another one, Life Shield on the line, and this one was one where Landon really wanted to win Life Shield because while The Miz was going into elimination, he was going into elimination against Caramo. and Landon really wanted to be the one to go in versus him and wanted to that decision to possibly be his. And ultimately, he also just wanted his team to win. And so the competition's back and forth. It's very even all the way through. And it comes down to the end. The final run is Landon versus CT. And the teams are all basically tied. I think they're within one foot of each other. So it truly comes down to a one on one matchup CT versus Landon. CT's already been dominated the whole season long. And, you know, is this big physical threat that everyone in the house is already kind of two seasons into CT, a little bit scared of physically in the game, how much better he is than everyone else. Landon steps up and says, I need to win a life shield and I need to beat CT to win. The most anyone has gotten at this point is 26 feet That is what Derek had gotten. Landon and CT go, and from the moment they say go, Landon is off. He ends up getting 33 feet. CT gets 26. Landon wins the life shield. He wins it for his team. He has the best mark of the day by 7 feet, which when we're talking 7 out of 33, I mean by a pretty wide percentage, and he probably could have went further. He knows by the last 20, 30 seconds he's up there that he's way, way ahead. He just kind of has to hold on to his spot where he is. It's an unbelievable feat of athleticism. It's everything about Landon that we would come to know and love at how dominant he is at all of the stuff they're asked to do on this very silly at times show. Landon was the best athletic performance of the season. We've covered the sports side of things. Let's now transition to the show side of things for some awards. First up being the best quote, and I've got to say for the second season in a row I'm left wanting a little bit more on the quote front. This was a similar to Battle of the Sexes 2. This season had a couple folks who were great at the confessionals, who were entertaining and great narrators, but maybe didn't have the one-liners, the zingers, the witty retorts uh or that are always going to, you know, make for a heavily stacked, a loaded best quote nominee category. But we We came up with four, we still got four nominees. We start, we'll go chronological order here. First one is Tina, who comes into the game and from the start, it is commented on Tina versus Tanya on her team. They did not get along the previous season. And so she is asked early on, is there a little bit of a rivalry between you and Tani even though you're on the same team? And she has this to say. Tanya and I don't get along. We all saw this on the Battle of Sexes, too. You are the biggest liar in the f-ing house. Just admit you had it. It's not a big deal. I just accept it. You're the only bitch that's bitching about the. F-ing house. It's not a rivalry because for a rivalry you need competition. Tanya's not my competition. She's my doormat. Some of the jabs taken were funny and fun and well within the reason, uh, well within reason of good. Good sportsmanship, good entertainment factor for the show. That was one of them. Then we had The Miz on episode three, which, if you remember back, is the episode where Tanya threw all of Beth's clothes into the pool. More on that in Best Moment coming up soon. But... It produced one of the best quotes of the season and a nominee for the best quote because one of the first people to find out about all the clothes in the pool was Mike The Miz, who comes down and discovers this and can't believe what he is seeing. Oh, my God. Are you serious? There's just laundry everywhere all over in the pool, like panties and dresses and tissue paper from brand-new pieces of clothing. This is like, I'm psycho, and I'm going to throw someone's clothes in the water. I've never seen anything like it. This is amazing. This is the coolest challenge ever, and I love the Inferno part two. Thank you for having me. Yes! Pure joy and pure entertainment from Mike the Miz there. He will be missed as this was his final season of the show. Then third nominee comes from Dan. Dan responding to a haircut that Landon gets that we're going to touch on here in a moment. But for now, all you need to know is Landon got a crazy haircut. And this is what Dan had to say about it. It's like a landing strip for dumbass airlines. Just right there. Darrell and CT cut me up pretty sharp, and I like it. I think it's uh, kind of intimidating. The always funny, the always entertaining, the always confessional king of any season he's on, Dan Renzi also wins the award for this season. His own award, the Dan Renzi Award for Confessional King or Queen of the Season. A, a heated battle between Dan and Tina. They both they both went for it, but in the end, Dan wins his very own award for the second time. The first time being when we officially named the award, an inaugural award named after him back a few seasons ago. So Dan has a nominee, gets the Dan Renzi Award for confessional king of the season. The fourth and final nominee for the best quote of the season, though, goes to Derek. On the shit they should have shown special, this is a short and sweet and concise quote, but it is one... That gets me every time, just the deadpan humor of it. Commenting on the wedgie that Brad got, another thing we will be talking about in one moment. But Derek, when asked about the wedgie, his thoughts on it had this very brief but honest and accurate statement to make Who likes to get wedgied on TV, man? Not me. I, I mean, it is, it is, it is good. It is funny, and but I don't know why it just. Part of it, you got to see it too. I'll post that clip on the Instagram. Just his facial expression with everything. about it. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite little small moments and lines in challenge history. Honestly, is is dared. Who wants to get wedged on TV, man? Not me. Just love it. But the winner of the best quote of the season is going to go to Dan. Also, the Dan Renzi Award winner to Dan. So. Dan sweeps the category this time around. Then we've got the big, one of the big awards. They're all big awards. They all matter. They're all the same size trophy. Actually, the MVP one's a little bit bigger. But the iconic moment of the season, formerly the best moment of the season, sometimes the most infamous moment, the most memorable. We label it just now the most iconic moment of the season, trying to encapsulate all the things. Infamy, hilarity, uh, memorableness, all of the different things that make up a legendary moment in challenge history. This season, a couple couple quick honorable mentions to smaller moments before we dive into the big nominated, big iconic moments. Some honorable mentions, smaller ones. First one is uh, this season, I... I don't know that I I didn't I didn't need to mention in evolutions for this season because it's not the first time they did it it's the second or third season but I don't believe I ever mentioned it before when they started it but this is during the era of the challenge where the the end of every episode would conclude with a next week on but then immediately after the next week on there would be the credits would roll but during the credits they would be showing some sort of footage some just random silly shit going on in the house And these moments were often some of the best of the episode, and they're the types of moments that, you know, we opine for, I opine for, certainly, for more and more things like that to make the actual show, that it doesn't have to be all about the game and the strategy and this, that, and the other, that sometimes the random, dumb stuff that they're doing when they just have to hang out with each other 24-7 for weeks on end sometimes is the most entertaining and funny and lighthearted and just a good time. And a couple of those moments get honorable mention This one, episode three, end credit scene, sees Dan and Robin hanging out in the bedroom, and Dan discovers Robin's magic wand that she's brought with her, and he decides, you know, to tease her about it in the most fun way, and that's he plays dumb, plays coy a little bit, like, ooh, What's this, Robin? What's this for? Oh, I press this button and it vibrates. I wonder maybe it's a massage. It seems like it massages, right? And he starts massaging his neck, and he—it's just this whole thing. It's this whole little bit, and it's hilarious. And the two of them are having a great, great time. And it's a perfect encapsulation of how those end credit scene moments were. Sometimes, you know, they—that might have been the most. If it wasn't in episode three where Tony threw best clothes in the pool, uh, that might have been the most fun moment of the entire episode and it was in the credits it probably should have been in the real thing moving on another honorable mention small moment miz in episode nine uh, all the guys are standing around they're kind of just daring each other to do uh things mostly eating related and someone dares miz to eat i don't know what kind of peppers they have but i don't like ghost peppers or something i don't know something that looks very very hot and just like full-blown big old peppers Uh, and there's just a little bowl of them for some reason. And Miz is like, okay, I'll eat one and bites into a big one and immediately regrets the decision. But then, you know, goes full Miz, uh, full, you know, I'm going to play this up for the cameras. He starts spraying ketchup all in his mouth. He starts spraying like mayonnaise or something. He's throwing any liquid, any food, anything he can find in his face, in his mouth, trying to get this thing to cool off, freaking out. It's all very, very funny and all very, very fun. And then the final one, also during a credit scene of episode 14, an episode where it would eventually be Dan and Landon that are in the elimination together, but for some reason prior to that elimination, uh, Mike found himself in the side cages where the elimination competitors would enter from, and Dan and Mike were in there, and Mike was kind of practicing, like if I was in this elimination, I would, you know, what would I be doing beforehand? I'd be kind of stomp around doing this. And then Dan starts mimicking him and making fun of him. And they both start jumping on the cages and yelling at each other and just all in kind of fake, uh, you know, fake having fun, whatever. It's all very, very great. And again, the end credit scene, bring those back at least, if not put more stuff like that in the main show. But those are your three honorable mention small moments. Let's get to the actual nominees for the award. Some of which we have already talked about, Um, at length, a few of which we just referenced because the best quotes of the season were about some of these moments. Maybe a good podcaster might have flipped these awards around and talked about them in different order, but too late for that now. We're already here. So, the nominees for the most iconic moment of the season. First one, slightly out of chronological order because this actually happened twice and they both kind of all go together for one. Landon and Derek this season, they weren't the only ones, Uh, A lot of the guys, the whole guys wrestling in the challenge house, you know, has been a few seasons going now, starting with The Miz and Abram on the gauntlet, you know, leading up to last season on Battle of the Sexes 2, when the guys were just always wrestling for fun on the lawn, and, you know, Julie wanted to wrestle Coral, and we all know how that went down, most iconic quote in challenge history, anyone? And so, uh, that continued this season, except it was mostly Landon and Derek. And it was mostly on concrete. The first one happens in episode two. The two of them, everyone's super duper drunk. And they end up fighting, not just, it's not fighting, it's wrestling. They both are, it's an agreed upon thing. uh, But it gets a little, it goes a little beyond wrestling at some points. Um, But they are doing so on concrete on the second floor terrace where there's not really railings or walls. And if they were to fall over the edge, which they almost do, it would probably be really, really bad. We're drunk, man. We are as drunk as drunk can get, and it's getting pretty carried away pretty quick. Landon and Derek start wrestling on concrete with two walls that can fall off, about two stories drops behind these walls, and I'm trying to break them up and basically trying to keep the situation under control. Seems to be a lot about partying and, and, and getting hammered and trashed and sleeping around, and. And we just want everybody to know that that's not all there is and that there are some people out there that are trying to represent uh, God and love and and, and, and what Jesus did for all of us. Now, if one drunken wrestling match that almost ends in major injury wasn't enough, they decide later in the season to do it again. This time in the streets outside the club. Landon's had a few to drink. He decides, maybe I want to I want to rev Derek up. What results is the two of them wrestling, again, I say wrestling, it's kind of a fight, it's kind of a wrestle, it's kind of hard to tell, in the middle of the street, slam each other into cars, vans, in the road, ends up with Derek splitting his ear open, having to get stitches, and later that night, Landon, who can has to be helped back into the house because he can't make it up the stairs on his own, gets into bed, totally passed out, Everyone ends up riding all over his back. Derek comes back from the hospital, all stitched up, and he decides, I'm going to give Lando a little haircut. You want it? Day or night, whether you're in the competitions or not, it's really competitive around here. Ah, But Derek, I was just trying to rev his engine a little bit and piss him off. Your sister was enjoyable. These guys... Take competition wherever they go. Anything we do, it's who can do it the best and who can do it the toughest. I'm very confident in fighting someone that's bigger, stronger than me. I have no problem with that. Landon and Derek in the street wrestling, grabbing booties again. I don't get these two cats, man. They need to stop playing. His ear is lacerated right now. I need stitches, come on. Dude, seriously. No, you yeah, don't need baby, stitches. you do. Why? Landon, I'll admit it, you, you could beat me in a wrestling match, but you're going to regret it. During the battle of me versus Landon, I get my ear torn off. I go to the hospital, get my stitches. But the night's not quite over yet. He's got like a novel written on his back already. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, why not go for it? If I'm going to have a little dumble here for a little while, I think he should have something back. Now he knows what happens when he with the badasses. And if that wasn't enough, the final step is that the next morning... First and foremost, Lando the commando. Landon couldn't be uh he he's clearly a little hungover, but for someone who couldn't walk up the stairs and passed out and didn't wake up to any the fact that anyone wrote on their back for you know what seemed like hours, um, and someone came and cut some of their hair. He's cheerful, he's seems totally with it, not really hungover. He's doesn't isn't mad at anyone. It's pretty amazing, honestly. But he decides, hey, all right, I've got this bald spot, I think. I know who did it, and he laughs it off, but then he decides that, you know what? I've got the bald spot. I can't like cover it up or anything. I might as well just shave the rest of my head, but then he gets talked into not shaving his head, but instead shaving a line down the middle to match the where the bald spot is, and then shaving some stuff off the side and leaving two rows down either side kind of on the edge of his head in what looked like somewhat kind of like antlers um on, on an animal of some sort, but I don't know what the haircut, if it actually has an official name, it's just the Lando Commando at this point. It looks horrible, let's be honest. He spikes what's left of it for the rest. He wears it the rest of the time. This is like halfway through and he goes the rest of the way with this crazy haircut. He thinks it's intimidating. I think he also just knows it's fun and funny and he keeps it the whole time. But the entire thing, all taken as one, the whole episode of the two of them wrestling in the street, Derek getting stitches, Landon getting his haircut, it's its crazy, it's memorable. I can't believe they both, for drunken wrestling with major injuries sustained, uh, they both couldn't be more pleasant and joyful about it after the fact, seem to have fully enjoyed every part of their evening, the good and the bad, and it's, it's uh, definitely on on each of their you know resumes and challenge history of this crazy fun weird moment that went down between them and the final thing to say about it is I do believe both times Landon gets technically gets the win in the wrestling so he is up 2 to 0 uh, on Derek in wrestling which when considering one's career in the challenge being able to say you drunk and wrestled Derek Kaczynski twice and won both times that's uh you know it's yet another bullet point on Landon's Sterling resume. So, that's nominee number 1. Nominee number 2, we already talked about, we don't have to rehash much, but that would be Tanya throwing best things in the pool. Don't know that there's much more infamous or memorable moment from this season. It certainly gets nominated for the most iconic moment. Then the third one, that would be Brad receiving an atomic wedgie for the ages. They're in the van. They're coming out of the club. It's episode 10. Uh, they've lost a few people, but most of the people are still there. They're having a great time. They're out at the club. They're dancing, doing whatever. They're all a little intoxicated. They get in the van. Brad's kind of climbing over a seat. Mike, or maybe Landon, or maybe, maybe not either of them. Maybe Derek. Maybe we don't know who. Sees an opportunity, grabs some underwear, maybe Jody, and pulls the underwear gives Brad a big old wedgie. Someone else sees an opportunity, grabs, pulls it into a full-blown atomic wedgie. Brad himself then decides, I'm going to go for a full-blown necklace and rips it over his head and just chaos ensues. We get in the good guy's van. And we're all just having a blast. All of a sudden, someone says, "Give Brad a wedgie." So I'm like, "All right, I'll give Brad a wedgie." Holy! Oh, oh, uh, oh, here we go! Uh, now it's a oh, necklace. Oh, oh, yes, oh, you oh, like that? God. That was a nice <laughs> thing. Dude, I like. Dating. It's taken time for me to realize. Wow, this bloated son of a bitch just ripped my underwear out of my pants, and then I realized how angry I am about it. I don't think it's funny. I'm out of here. Brad laughs about it, and then he just. Snaps into like mean Brad. His personality makes like 180. That was the short version of that that clip. It only goes further from there. Uh he, Brad <laughs> throws two hand, grabs Derek outside on the street and throws him into the other the front of the other van, like shoves him headfirst into the other van. For Derek's part is totally chill about the whole thing. There would seem to just be a lot of that. A lot of people hitting vans this season drunkenly and not having to care in the world about it., uh, this could have went way south way quickly and somehow didn't. They both go they all go back to the house and it seems to last almost all night long that Brad sits up and you know accuses first Mike, who kind of doesn't say he did it but accepts that like it's better if Brad thinks I did than anyone else and like I can sit here and be calm and just let Brad yell at me. They're yelling at each other all night long. No one ever fully fesses up until the shit they should have shown special at the end when I believe it is Jody that says maybe she started it, but it was maybe everyone kind of had a hand in it on the good guy's team. But it lives on for sure. You know, it leads to the, that quote I love from Tarek about not wanting to have a wedgie on television. Of course, who would? Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a memorable moment for sure. The fourth and final nominee then comes from episode 13. One of the most fun moments it seemed like they had in the house, the pool in the house this season, great pool, wonderful pool. And the thing they did with the pool is there was a lot of furniture around the pool, patio type furniture, that they seemed to move all of it over next to the pool so that they could run and jump off of all of it. They didn't have a diving board. They took some precarious jumps this season. There was multiple times it was like, I think you might really hurt yourself. It's not that big of a pool. It doesn't look like it's that deep of a pool, but One of the times they were doing a lot of jumping was the belly flop competition. They held a big old belly flop competition. It's a great time. It is so much fun. And Tanya dominates the competition. There's a couple good belly flops. There's a couple not so good belly flops. But Tanya's was a perfect 10. The belly flop competition will start in 15 minutes. Oh! Don't do that, that one! Don't do that one! Okay. I think I've been trying to avoid this all night. The boys thought that it'd be a good idea to have a belly popping contest. Go, go! Go! go. That was was definitely a oh, dive! Cool. Lady, you can't <laughs> wear the hair. Yeah! You gotta give like, me some time <laughs> to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we need some redness here, some redness here, and a lot of pain. Go, 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 go! At this point, like, if I get one second to have fun in this game, I'm just going to let loose. Here goes Tanya. Tanya. Come on, Tanya. Tanya! 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 Go! Tanya, go! go. And that belly flop competition really encapsulates kind of the spirit of the early challenge houses and I think is a great, this is a great, great moment, a great clip to look back on when, you know, in the the, the era we're in now of all stars and, you know, the flagship show kind of dwindling and ha- people having some issues, you know, I say people, the fans, myself even included, having some issues sometimes with how it's just, you know, this almost Big Brother-esque style, game where everyone's all serious all the time and then they go put the football pads on and do the big strong competition thing and it's not the the atmosphere isn't so fun but All-Stars has that fun atmosphere and it's always so hard to put your finger on like what is so different what is so better this this belly fob competition is a perfect encapsulation of the kind of mood of a house even in a season super duper competitive that in this era of the show there was still no matter how competitive it got how mad people got at each other how You know, people throwing people's clothes in the pool, people trying to fight each other in the streets, people picking on each other and crossing lines as far as, you know, kind of mental harassment maybe is considered. Everyone still found time to have a great time and like what is both fun for us to do and would be kind of silly and fun for the cameras and we're all kind of bored here we've had a drink or two some of us have and what what's silly and dumb that we can do that's just you know just a great old time for us and for the viewers at home this perfectly encapsulates that kind of feeling that is why it is nominated for one of the most iconic moments of the season but it does not win the winner if we're talking infamy if we're talking memorable. We're talking iconic. It's pretty rude, but it's going to get the win. Tanya throwing best things in the pool. If there's one thing I think of when I think of this season, that is the first moment that comes to mind. That is the moment that if... Early on, uh, I had to say a moment from the season that could make you know the most memorable, iconic, best moments of all time in challenge history bracket that we will one day do a much better version than the challenge official account did themselves a few months back. I could see Tanya throwing best things in the pool, making that bracket. It gets the win here. We then, of course, must name a best episode of the season. Three nominees for that. First one, episode three, X Marks the Spot. This is the episode we've talked about at length because Tanya throws about stuff in the pool, and that's all you really need to know about why that episode is great. Second nominee, episode number nine, Never Ending Climb. This one is the Donkey Kong-like daily challenge that we discussed earlier, Great Daily Challenge. This is the episode we learn a bit about Tanya's backstory growing up in foster care and kind of get some, the, the one moment of the season, they really tried to say, you know, here is this person, here's who they are, why they are the person that they are. And we kind of get some of that and it, you know, paints the whole situation between her and the mean girl trio in a different light. And it definitely, you know, brings some compassion to Tanya's side. So that's good. It has Mike eating the pepper, the little small moment we talked about as an honorable mention and it also features Dan absolutely shutting down the mean girl trio during deliberation when they try to kind of run over the conversation as they had done a few times in deliberation and kind of tell some of the guys on the team to shut up. Dan just absolutely goes at them in a calm but assertive way and with full blown you know quality reasoning quality arguments and just completely shuts them down and says we're doing this how myself and CT and Derek and Abram want to do this right now and we we're not going to hear anything else from you at this time given how you've been treating members of the team it's all great so episode 9 also nominated but the third and final nominee is also the winner of the best episode of the season, for sure. Episode 10, what a drag. It features the Brad wedgie, and it features the balls in elimination between Brad and Abram. Doesn't get a whole lot better than both of those things, taking up a majority of your episode, plus uh, a solid, funny uh, daily challenge mixed in there as well. So, episode 10, best episode of the season. Now, that would normally bring us to the big, big award of the season MVP, but before we say season MVP, we've got a brand new award to add this season, an award that I cannot believe someone who loves awards as much as I obviously do had not thought to award this award uh, at, at for any of the previous seasons or hadn't even been thinking to uh, bring it into the podcast at all, so shout out. My friend, Kelly Barley, bringing this to my attention, hit me up on Instagram, and bringing a fantastic idea to the table that now we are going to implement into the show, and that is that we've obviously got to have a Rookie of the Season award. How can I have been doing this without a Rookie of the Season? I'm going to, at some point, have to go back and retroactively assign uh, or name Rookie of the Year winners for not the first all nine seasons, because probably not until we get to an era where there's actual mostly vets and only a few rookies, so maybe for the last few. But for this season, we're going to start. We're going to name, for the time being, the first-ever rookie of the year. There was five nominees this season because there was five rookies out of the 20 people on this season, four of which were from real-world Philadelphia, Caramo, Jamie Landon, and Shavonda, plus Jody from Road Rules Extreme, five rookies on the season. And we don't even really have to go through anyone's merits because guess what? Landon wins with ease, and we will talk about why in a moment, because we ain't done talking about Lando Commando. So Landon, Rookie of the Year, add that to the trophy case, now on to the season MVP. Now, we've been doing a where were you, gone too soon, and then top five ballot. We're going to do the same for this season. Uh, as far as a where were you, there's only one person who really made the where were you list um for in the MVP discussion at large, and that was Durrell who, aside from winning his third straight, which you know, it's his third straight win, we do know he'd eventually go on to be that four by four champ to start off his challenge career. But he's not really doing a whole lot other than obviously winning at the end. But Uh, He's he's the only one, and I might even be stretching even to say for him, you know, where were you, Darrell? Um, But really, he was the only one that was kind of totally, totally in the background of players you would maybe think would have been much more in the foreground. As far as the gone too soon, for the first time ever, we don't really have anyone in this category, both partially because of the format. People stick, a lot more people sticking around to the end and less people going home less often, but also the order of which those people did go home really didn't have anyone that went home early that was putting on any sort of MVP case that you know could have had a case if they stayed longer so we moved to our top five the official ballot and in that ballot this was a tough one the winner wasn't so tough but it was really tough to finish out the top five because the the only one that's not gonna make the top five is CT who I felt like you know he wins six life shields that's a big deal he win he does great in all the daily challenges. But that's the only time we really see him the whole season. He's not really present much elsewise, and that's why he doesn't quite crack the top five, even though he's competing at such a high level on this season. He gets bumped out by his teammate Abram, who comes in at fifth on the ballot. Abram, obviously the big ball's in victory. He a couple times gets in some big arguments. He kind of, you know, is has his philosophy. His team kind of goes a little against it. He has the whole, like, I'm not in an alliance with Mike. I'm secretly in an alliance with other people. And I'm eventually gonna have to tell you that because you keep saying I'm in an alliance with someone else. He's a big character all season long. He's a little bit on the on the sidelines of a bunch of different storylines. He's very much the one on his team trying at different times to bridge the gap of You know, we're all pretty awesome individually. If we could just work together, it might just work out for us. He's kicking ass the whole season long. He makes the top five of the ballot, coming in at fifth. Coming in at fourth is then my guy, Dan Renzi, the confessional king of the season. He competes super well. He goes one and one in eliminations. He is neck and neck with Landon in the second elimination that he ends up in. He's one of the best parts of the season for sure. And thankfully, even though he is eventually eliminated, you know the last elimination or second to last, but 14th episode out of 16, so he's there. A majority of the season, thank goodness for that. He's bringing the entertainment. Uh, you know, he's making sure he's the only one trying to put anyone in their place on his team. Trying to, you know, Abram a couple times tries to get people together. Dan's at least try willing to call out the bullshit, uh, which is great every time that it happens. So Dan comes in at fourth. Then third place, Tanya, so much of the story revolves around Tanya from, you know, her and Beth showdown, talked about at length, her and the mean girls talked about at length, you know, is, you know, unfortunate as some of that was, it still is, you know, the focal point of the show at large points. She's got romance going this season as we find out after the fact, um, uh, you know, she's, Doing some of that. She's competing really well. She's won two eliminations on this season. All around uh, just a fantastic season from her. Very front and center. Gets her on the ballot. Not quite the MVP herself, but third place. Then we move to the second place. The runner-up MVP of the season. That would be Mike The Miz in his fifth and what would be his final season. You know, making his at-the-time record-tying fourth finals Getting a second win, getting in that two-timers club before he leaves, taking over the money lead at this point. He has the most confessionals of the season. He's kind of the narrator of the season. He is as he is in every of the five seasons he was on, the face of the show for uh for better or worse, almost always for the better, and definitely, definitely brings it in a big way. And similar to Pretty much every season he is on outside of Ballot of 2 is the only time he did not make the MVP ballot. He was four out of five, making the ballot. Never quite got that win, though. Came in second before, comes in second here because the MVP of the Inferno 2 happens to be the rookie of the year. That is Lando Commando Landon. Real World Philadelphia coming in hot off of his season of Real World comes into the challenge house and not only takes home rookie of the year but dominates in such a fashion sport and show side of things takes home the MVP in his very first season an incredible feat. I mean, let's run through the some the resume here from the season. We've got Landon wrestling Derek twice resulting in his eventual shaved head and crazy hairdo. For half of the season, one of the biggest moments of the season, nominated for that as such. He wins two eliminations this season, one of which a really intense matchup with Dan climbing a peg wall. He performs incredibly, the other of which he throws himself in. For Mike the Miz to take out his friend Caramo, who we find out after the fact had asked for this, who wanted to go home, but didn't want to lose against Mike, who wanted Landon, his buddy, to be the one that did it if he was going to go out in that fashion. So Landon goes in there and does. We'll say, as for as for caramo claiming to wanted to lose that and wanting to go home, uh it's not like he just lets Landon win. There is a chance Landon loses that. Cromo's swinging at him. They play knock their block off, and Cromo tries to knock his block off. So two elimination wins. Landon also won four of the eight life shields for his team. Not quite the six out of eight that CT got, but four out of the eight, and all four of those were would have all four of those were when he beat CT as well, um, so was the best person in the daily challenge four times out of the eight times that they definitively said who is the best person here. He was the best player in the house all season long at anything. He was. It was clear from the moment he walked into the challenge house, as it would be clear the entire time he is ever in a challenge house on any season, he might be the best person ever at Doing this stuff. Just the exact right type of athlete, the exact right type of smart to be great at all of the random shit that they are asked to do. He also got romantic. We don't see it in the moment. We find out about it after, but he hooked up with Tanya on this season. Tanya didn't have the best things to say about that one, but uh, you know we'll, we'll give him a pass. He also attempts, he and Jody attempt to hook up they are on the couch. They decide, they kind of give each other the look. They say, let's go do this. They head to a laundry room, but production's way ahead of them. They're waiting there with the camera. And Jody eventually, as Landon tells it, runs out into the woods because she thinks maybe they can go out there. But then she got stung by a scorpion Uh, or something to that effect and had to get medical attention. So they didn't end up hooking up. All of that comes again from the quite wonderful shit. They should have shown type of special at the end of the season, whose name I have still not looked up. It is not actually titled shit. They should have shown. They use that title in the future. I'm gonna do what I should have done and look up to hell and back hot gossip from the Inferno 2. That is what the special at the end of the season is called, hot gossip from the Inferno 2. And then, of course, Landon, the final bullet point is he wins the season. He's one of the four that is on the winning team at the end, so... He's got big moments. He wins eliminations. He's dominating the competition, winning life shields, beating everyone, including CT. He's hooking up with people. He's trying to hook up with other people. He's got a crazy hairdo. He wins the season. He is Lando Commando. He is the MVP of the Inferno 2. Now there is but one thing left to do. We must grade the season, we must put it in the Pantheon. Slide it in to where it belongs for challenge history, all moving forward. As always, these are official grades, but they're also subject to change because, as we saw on the last season recap podcast, where we had to retroactively change a few grades, as the more of these we do, we realize that maybe our grading scale wasn't what we wanted it to be, as we did some of the earliest seasons. Same thing happened this time around. So, these are as official as uh, as official can be, except they are changeable, which means they're not maybe official. They're official for now. They're temporarily official. How about that? Because when we are done doing all of the seasons, hopefully still maybe in this calendar year, we'll have, have retroactively probably changed a lot, but we will be very firm in our convictions at that point. We will be able to say what the true official official for all time to behold rankings and ratings are. But for now, for the current iteration of official, let's go ahead and hand out a season grade for the Inferno 2, season 10. And as always, we have four subgrades to get to our overall, the female cast, the male cast, the sport grade, the show grade. Let's go one by one here. On the female cast side of things, let me pull up my official scorecard from all of these seasons so far. This season, as far as on the casting side go, we always try, we talk about, you know, how many heavy hitters they got, how many solid players they got, and then how many duds are there, and who lasted when, you know, you got a bunch of heavy hitters, but they all go home early, and a bunch of the duds make it to the end, that's not as good, you know how the drill works at this point, so on the female cast side, heavy hitters, this one was tough to split up, uh, but Rachel, Tina, Tanya, Veronica, for sure all unquestionably heavy hitters, first ballot Hall of Famers, then I've gotten the solid category, but All of them could argue their way into being a heavy hitter. Definitely at the time of this season were in that star level range. And that's Beth, Jody, Robin, and Julie. Somewhere between solid and heavy hitters themselves. But awesome, awesome contributors to this season and all the seasons they're on. The only two real duds of the 10 women weren't even really duds on this particular season. That's Jamie and Shavonda. Uh, it's more of they just, neither of them ended up having much of an impact on the show, and their impact on this particular season was pretty light, so that's the category that they fall into, but both lovely people who I did enjoy um, on this uh, show, but this is where we got it before we tell you the female cast grade, we got to say the retroactive change is we're going to go back in time to the gauntlet episode, and we're going to change the score on the female cast for the gauntlet from an A to an A-minus. We maybe got a little ahead of ourselves on that one. Cause it was the first season where we had a handful of heavy hitter women on the show. But looking back uh, you know, the percentage of them that were in that category, there was a lot and there was a lot more in the solid and dud category than the heavy hitters. We maybe got a little excited about that one. So we're downgrading it from an A to an A minus retroactively. Same thing for battle. Of the sex is one from an A minus to a B plus just to get things back in order so that we could say this particular season is an A minus on the female cast side. Again, Eight out of 10 being at least solid, if not all heavy hitters four, for sure heavy hitters four, kind of in that in-between zone between them and those ones making it pretty far. Given this season, everyone kind of makes it pretty far. They really, this was the first time they started to really get it right of how do we maybe have less people, more stars amongst them, eliminate them slowly, let a lot of people get to the end. Really, really worked. A minus female cast. Then on the male cast side, a full blown A. We're not even gonna. We're not even gonna. You know, walk all. We are gonna walk all the way through it, but we're gonna say it from the start. Full blown A, which ties it for the best male cast we've had. We're on an absolute run of great male casts here, three seasons in a row from the Inferno One, Baldest Sexes Two, Inferno Two. Now three incredible seasons in a row. An A rating ties it with Real World Road Rules Season Two and Inferno Season Eight. Four the best male cast ever. We had heavy hitters, Abram, CT, Derek, Durrell, Landon, Miz, and Brad. That's six or seven out of the 10 people fall unquestionably in the heavy hitter first ballot Hall of Famer type category. That's incredible. 70% of the cast fall into that category. Throw in Dan, who in my mind, my heart is a heavy hitter but objectively I would say is going to just be in that solid category but he's fucking amazing every time he's on the show including this season and the only two duds really and really karamo I feel I feel wrong calling John Brennan a dud great history with the show in the real world and the entire MTV franchise more in that solid category but he goes out right at the beginning of the season the first person to be eliminated so he's not around very long but regardless Abram, CT, Derek, Durrell, Landon, Miz, and Brad. And six of those seven make it to the final. they there every single episode. Brad's there nearly to the end. Incredible, incredible stuff. A full-blown A. I don't know if this means that there'll never be an A-plus on the male cast side if, because this very well could go down as the best male cast ever. We shall see. Part of it is just that there's 10 of them, so seven out of 10, it, it makes it kind of a crazy thing to look at that list of names. But... A full-blown A. Then, as for the sport grade, a B plus. solid consistency was the name of the game on the sport front of this season. The daily challenges, yeah, I don't know if any of them enter into my, you know, absolute favorite 10 best, 20 best, whatever daily challenges of all time, but almost every single one is solid, good, compelling, competitive, just consistently good stuff. Consistent B ratings throughout these daily challenges. And, Same thing for the elimination. Solid, consistent eliminations. Every single one is pretty good to bordering on great with one absolute all-timer being the ball's in versus uh, Abram versus Brad that we talked at length about. Plus, you throw in that, you know, the competitiveness of it all that we talked about early on in this podcast, and this in general is to date the best sports season that we've had. The best rated sports grade of a B-plus tied with uh, season 4 Extreme Challenge, but that one did not have elimination. So if there had to be a tiebreaker, I would say this is the best sport grade that has ever been given out to any season at a B plus. Still a lot of room to go, a lot of greatness to be had, possibly in seasons to come, but a B-plus for the sport grade. Then on the show side of things, a B rating. There were memorable moments. Obviously, this is not Inferno 1. Almost no season is the Inferno 1 with the absolute you know, the handful of iconic moments that came with that season. But there were still some real memorable moments. The best, you know, the most iconic moment of the season award category was full of some deserving nominations. And similar to the sports side, this was just a consistently entertaining season. There was no dips. There were no lulls. There was no episode where it's like, oh, you know, there was no episode, the worst episode grade in general. I grade every single episode of the season and none of them fell on the bottom half of of the rankings. This had the most B minus or higher rated episode of any season ever, only dipped into C plus a couple times. Most seasons have a C, a C minus, even a D plus thrown in there. This one did not. It was almost always B minus, B range, a handful of B pluses, one full blown A. And so very consistent, even if there isn't that, you know, Julie trying to rip Veronica's harness off type of moment. Uh, to remember forever, no you know, bananas backpack level moment. It was consistent and good, a B across the board. So that means female cast A minus, male cast A, sport grade B plus, show grade B, which brings us to an overall grade of an A minus, which means big time meaning behind that grade. That means history has been made. That ties it with its predecessor, the Inferno One, for the highest rated season to date. Through 10 seasons, the Inferno 1 and 2 are now tied at A-. minus. Now, they got there in a very, very different way. The Inferno rode the back, the Inferno 1 rode the back of these super high highs, these incredible memorable moments, a couple incredible athletic moments, but had some low lows, but it all averaged out to the best we had seen at that point. This season, much more that's consistent down the middle with some great mixed in, but never dipping below good at any point. And the big difference between the two seasons where this, you know, the show grade back on the inferno was <clears throat> a full-blown A minus compared to this one's B. But the sports were much better on this season, a B-plus to a C-plus. And the cast, even though the cast was great on the Inferno, that was a B and an A, respectively. This one an A-minus and an A. So in slightly different ways, they both get there. They both end up at an A-minus. And really, I'm not sure if I had to pick between the two of them right now. I don't know which one I would go with. Would I go with the slightly better cast and the better sports and the consistency, or would I go with the unbelievable high highs of the Inferno 1? I am not sure. I'm not ready to make that decision. All I know is either way you split it, Inferno 1 and Inferno 2 are the two best seasons of the first 10 of the show. This trilogy is off to an incredible, incredible start. No wonder they would do it. A third time here in a few seasons from now, but an A minus. It's in the annals of history forever. Obviously, as we said, subject to change. But I don't. I don't see any. I don't see the overall grades changing all that much, unless I really have to retroactively change, uh, you know, casting or a sport or a show grade in a big, big manner. That would have to affect the overall grade. I don't know if those will change. So, for all time or not, an A one of the either best or second best season we've seen thus far, and we've talked about it all. So with that, we are done with this edition. We will now move on to the Gauntlet 2, which is a big, big deal because that means we're moving on to one Mr. T.J. Lavin, folks. Cannot wait to talk about that. We will do so next week. Thank you so much for being here this week. Thank you for talking with me about the Inferno 2. Remember, this season is available on Paramount+. Plus. So now that you've listened to it, this podcast, if you do still want to binge that entire season or some of the episodes, the best of the best that we talked about, you can do so with that Paramount Plus subscription. As always, hit me up. On Instagram at Challenge Historian, extra content coming about these seasons and the all star season that's happening right now, and all kinds of things over there. It is also the best place to get in touch with me if you've got ideas, you've got opinions, you've got feedback, constructive criticism for the show. Would love to hear from you. Hit me up at Challenge Historian on Instagram. And with that, we'll be back on Wednesday. All-Stars 3 coverage continues back next week. Gauntlet 2 rewatch series continuing. Have a great week and weekend. Until then, till we talk again, peace.